Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you guys. Welcome. Before, uh, as you get your Bibles out, let us, uh, let's, pl- let's pray and let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, as we read in our, our call to worship, that you are our refuge, our dwelling place, and before the mountains were ever formed, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And yet you have welcomed Um, us into your presence not because of what anything we've done but because of what your son has done on our behalf and that we can enter into the presence of the almighty God because of the reconciling work of Jesus Lord help us to never forget that help us to see the privilege in it and Lord I pray that as we come to your word can you teach us marvelous things Can you open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds? Can you speak to us, Lord? May this not just be words that we hear, but may these words bring truth to us and burn this truth into our hearts, and may it lead to a transformed life. Lord, you know every single one in this room. You know those who believe, you know those who are skeptics, you know those who are doubting, and those who are struggling in the faith. Can you speak to them? Can you become more real to them? And can your name be glorified? Can we walk out of here in awe of you saying, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a privilege it is to sit at the king's table and eat the king's food, for he is the king of all kings. So come, Lord, and speak to us. Help me to think clearly and to articulate the thoughts you've laid on my heart. And may you take these words and may they take deep root. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, So which means we're starting a brand new series uh, through the book of Daniel. So more than likely uh, for the rest of the fall we'll be in Daniel. Then we're entering into Advent season and then God willing we'll wrap up Daniel um, in the winter time slash springtime. And and so here is uh, my hope for us in this series. Here's the reason uh, why I pick the book of Daniel even though after several weeks I'm probably going to regret it the problem is I've already committed to it so I can't backtrack on it Uh, but but seriously here's my hope for us in this series It's, it's twofold when we find ourselves especially in today living amidst turmoil and chaos and we see rulers come and rulers go governing authorities being elected in or leaving and governments coming and going Amongst all of this turmoil, we need to be reminded that God will establish an everlasting kingdom. And so what that means for us when we find ourselves in today, when we see Russia annex Ukraine territory and we see China possibly moving to a disputed island in the southern seas, or when we're seeing North Korea kind of playing a little scary here and we're seeing America being a superpower kind of losing its grip and the UN continue in its corruption, 
inflation skyrocketing. What do we do? We panic. No, we are reminded that kings will come and go. But God will establish and is establishing an everlasting kingdom. And that is the hope we stand on. Second, second hope and purpose is that as we look at the life of Daniel during exile, what we're going to see from Daniel is that he remains faithful to the Lord. And so what we can do is we can find encouragement because we ourselves are exiles on our way to the promised land. And we can learn what must we do as exile wanderers amidst controversy, amidst fear and chaos. Remain faithful to the Lord, trusting that he is sovereign, believing that our God is in complete control. And so that's my hope for us in this series. Now, before we get into the book, there's a little bit of helpful information that we need to discuss. Obviously, we're going to look at the historical context, which I'm going to skip over, and we're going to tackle because Daniel addresses it in verse 1. But, but as we look at the book as a whole, the most simplest explanation, when we tackle this book, the book can really be divided into two parts. The first part, chapter 1 through chapter 6, is really about the prophet, and it consists of narratives. It's a story that it's telling us about Daniel and his three friends. But then we get to the second part of the book, chapter 7, verse 12, and it reveals prophecies, and it consists of visions of the future. In other words, it's apocalyptic literature. So when we look at the book, we see it's broken up into two parts. Now here's the reality about this book. Daniel has several interpreting challenges. That's part of the reason I did not want to do the book of Daniel, especially when we get to the second part of Daniel and talk about the visions and the apocalyptic literature. What does this number mean? What does this vision mean? And there are so many challenges. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to disappoint you because I'm not going to be able to provide clarity on all of these numbers. But here's what I'm trying to do in the midst of apocalyptic literature in the midst of the vision is point you to the main theme. Regardless of how we interpret the end times, what do we know? God is coming back and establishing an everlasting kingdom. And so as Alistair Begg says, the main thing is the plain thing and the plain thing is the main thing and that's what we're going to focus on. So for those who love the book because of all the different interpreting challenges and you want me to provide clarity, I am sorry, but I will not be able to do it. Um, I am not an expert, and no, not even the experts can figure it out, but we're going to focus on the main theme. So, so what are some main themes in this book? Some main themes in this book is, first of all, we're going to find out that the Lord is sovereign overall, and he's able to rescue his people. So what is Daniel all about? The book of Daniel is all about God's sovereignty and his ability to rescue his people. The, the second thing we're going to see, a second theme in this book is, is about God who holds accountable people and kings who oppose him and his people. And the last theme that we see is that God will replace earthly kingdoms with an eternal kingdom. What's all the themes about? God. And here, it's so important for us to remember this. 
In the study of our book of Daniel, Daniel is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of our story. And I'm going to work really hard to show you how God is the hero of the story, that he is the main character in our story. So let's look at Daniel chapter 1 and look at some historical context. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So if we look at the first two verses, verse 1 really provides for us the historical context. What's going on? Okay, now throughout Israel's history, the Lord has been slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He has sent prophet after prophet to a rebellious people to remind them and to warn them that judgment is coming. If you continue in your rebellion against the Lord, Judgment is coming. And we find out that the Lord remained faithful in keeping his word. And so in Israel, which is the northern kingdom, the Assyrians invaded them in 722 B.C. And then Judah, the southern kingdom that we read about in 1 Daniel verse 1, followed in the footsteps of Israel. They continued in their rebellion against the Lord and in decline politically and also spiritually. And we find out that during the reign of Jehoiakim, one of Judah's worst uh, kings ever, King Nebuchadnezzar came, of Babylon came and attacked Jerusalem in 605 B.C. And we will, we're going to find out in verses 3 and verses 4 that the siege led to the first stage of deportation where they deported some youth from the royal families of Judah. So the book of Daniel is really an account of this deportation and the history of one such individual named Daniel. So as verse 1 kind of provides the historical context, Daniel and his friends are in exile. They've been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 2 provides for us the theological explanation. So why were they deported? Well, look at verse 2. It says this. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. So who's responsible for the siege? Who's responsible for them to be handed over? The Lord is. God is. And what we have to understand is that this shows us The Lord is faithful in keeping his word. This deportation was a result of the Lord being faithful to his covenant promises, the Mosaic covenant. Because when Israel entered into a covenant with the Lord called the Mosaic covenant, there is blessings when you obey the law and there are curses when you break the law. And so we find in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 36 to 37, the Lord will bring you and your king who, set you, who you set over to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. 
And verse 2, we find out that the Lord is faithful in keeping his word. Because of their rebellion, he remained faithful in his covenant promises, and he handed them over to the king of Babylon. And as a result, now they are in exile and deported into a foreign land. And then we also find out in verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, what is he doing? He's carrying the vessels from the temple, all the temple furniture, and he's bringing it to his temple, to the house of his God. And in a way, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he is saying, hey, our God is stronger than your God. That's why we're taking all your temple articles and putting it in our temple to show you how strong we are. But what Daniel is saying when he is saying the Lord handed them over, he's saying, no, King Nebuchadnezzar, your Your God is not stronger than our God. The people have sinned and the real God is faithful in keeping his word. And he was the one who handed us over to you. And he was the one that allowed you to take the temple articles and put it in your temple. And really what we're going to see, the Lord is faithful in keeping his word, but the Lord continues to work even amongst his people in exile. Let's let's look at uh, verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, and all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them from the Judites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. And so what we find is as we, as we continue to look at this text, we find that in addition to the temple articles that King Nebuchadnezzar took, they also took people. The text tells us that they brought in young youth, young men, teenagers who were from royal families, from nobility, in a sense, into Babylon. In a sense, what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, he was trying to take the cream of the crop, the young, the best, and the brightest, to bring them to Babylon, indoctrinate them to serve the king in order to strengthen his own kingdom. And here's the irony. Here's what's going on. As King Nebuchadnezzar is taking the cream of the crop to strengthen his own kingdom, The Lord through exile is invading the kingdom of Babylon. While Israel is being oppressed, the Lord is scattering his people among the nations so that they may bear witness of the true God. As Augustine of Hippo says, the city of man, that is Babylon, is being invaded by the city of God. And this is what's going on. And so in verse 4, we find out the criteria of these first round of deportees. We, we find out that there's this high standard of physical appearance and intellectual ability. They ought to be young men. The younger, the better. Why? Because that means they can serve in the kingdom longer. It's easy for them to influence them with a Babylonian worldview. 
And the purpose of these deportees was to turn them into Babylonians so that they could serve the king. And briefly, here's the strategy. The strategy to take these young men and turn them into Babylonians, the first thing you do is you isolate them. Remove them from their families, from their friends, from their home, and put them in a foreign land. Step number two, indoctrinate them with first-class education. Teach them the Babylonian language, literature, philosophy, history, religion, and astrology. Assimilate them with the best delicacies and the best privileges that their new life could be enjoyed with the daily provision of the food from the table of the king, the wine from the table of the king. And then confuse their identity by changing their name so that it might reorient their hearts of worshiping their Lord to now worshiping the God of the Babylonians. Really what we're seeing is very similar to us sending our children off to college. What's your greatest fear with sending your kids off to college? Are they going to come back in one piece? And how will they be indoctrinated? Now imagine 12, 13, and 14-year-olds far away from home. The best education that man could offer. The best of food. I mean caviar, lamb, the best of meat, the best of wine, food that they could get so used to, the best of life, the best of clothes, where they can look around and say, Man, Babylon is great. And then change their name to remind them, you're a new person in a new country with a new identity. The God you served might have been good, but look at the goodness you're experiencing among us. Our God is better than your God. This is what's going on. So in verse 6 and 7, we're introduced to four young men, Daniel and his three buddies, Now, more than likely, uh, there were more than just Daniel and his three buddies that were deported, but the book of Daniel is not about all these other people. It's about him and his three buddies and how the Lord is working. And so part of Nebuchadnezzar's strategy is to make them, to turn them into Babylonians. And so they're faced with challenges, holding fast to their devotion to the Lord and the new challenges as they find themselves in a new place with new stories, new language, new menus, new names to bear. And so the question is, will these young men remain faithful to the Lord? And the reality of it is, the odds are against them. And let's see how the Lord remains faithful to them. Look, look at verse 8. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. Pay attention to verse 9, underline this section. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who has signed your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So verse 8 tells us that Daniel determined in his heart. He made a resolution not to defile himself with the king's food and with the king's wine. 
Now, if we have to be honest, this decision kind of seems surprising because up to this point, we've not read of any resistance or any indication of resistance when it came to him being deported, when it came to him receiving a new education, when it came to him even receiving a new name. No resistance, no like, I'm not going to do this. And yet when it came to food, he was like, uh-uh, I'm not going to defile myself with this food. So now the question that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, why is Daniel drawing the line when it comes to food, but not the other parts? And again, sorry to disappoint you, but the reality of it is, there is no clear answer. And I'm going to show you why there's no, where there's no clear answer. And so when we come up with an explanation, we have to hold it loosely. In other words, if one person says he thinks this and you say this, both of you could possibly be right. But we have to understand Scripture does not clearly tell us. So, for example, you have some people who suggest that the food and the wine were first offered up to idols, and so now Daniel, knowing it, participating in it, he is inadvertently participating into idol worship. And you're like, oh, that's a pretty good explanation, but, but here's kind of the problem with this explanation. What is he eating? What does he end up eating? Vegetables and water. You don't think that was offered to the idols? Well, yeah, more than likely it was. And you're like, well, he doesn't like to eat meat and drink wine. Well, later on in, in Daniel chapter 10, we find out he ends up eating meat and drinking wine. So maybe not a good option. Maybe uh, some believe that the food was not kosher. Okay, well, maybe the meat was unclean, but then why wine? Because Israelites were permitted to drink wine. Some believe that the royal food and drink uh, that, that have been served uh, on the temple vessels, in other words, the articles from the temple of the Lord, the food was served on that, and they ate it. But then the question is, what did they serve the vegetables on, and what did they serve the, the water in? You don't think they used the same articles? So what's the best explanation? I don't really know. Regardless of the reason of why, what do we know for sure? What does the Bible tell us? Daniel determined. He made a personal resolution to remain faithful to the Lord. That's what te the text teaches us. That's what we can hold firmly. And looking at the context, again, here's what's happening. What's Babylon doing? They're smothering these kids. They're spoiling them. It's like, think about your child's uh, favorite restaurant. Imagine they could eat at Chick-fil-A or Mickey D's breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for the rest of their lives. What would they say? Man, this is like, like heaven. What's going on with Daniel? They're not eating bad food. They're eating the best of food, the food that comes from the king's table. In other words, the food that only the king eats. The wine that only the king drinks. 
And Daniel and his friends are thinking to ourselves, wait a second here, food which provides great comfort for us, there is a real danger when we drink the Kool-Aid everybody else is drinking, when we get used to the luxury lifestyle that this new life is offering. Because what happens is, the second that Babylon gets inside of us, we will never be able to get Babylon out of us. Think about the Israelites. When they were in the wilderness, what were they doing the whole time? They were complaining because of food. Oh, we're hungry. Oh, we're tired. Oh, we're thirsty. I wish we could go back into Egypt. At least we had meat in our pots and our bellies were full. And what was showing us is that even though the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, Egypt still remained in them. And for Daniel and his friends, he's thinking, hey guys, danger, danger. We cannot allow Babylon to infiltrate us and get inside of us because if we do, there's no way to get Babylon out. And there they made a resolution not to defile themselves, to cling to the Lord and remain faithful to him. And so Daniel, with, with great courage, goes to the chief eunuch and then requested that he, that this eunuch will disregard the king's order and give him different food. But what does verse 9 tell us? Verse 9 tells us that what? God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Again, who's the hero of this story? Daniel who made the resolution or the God who is faithful and gracious? Think about this. If God did not grant Daniel kindness and compassion to the chief eunuch, the chief eunuch could either say, hey buddy, you're going to eat it or I'm going to report you to the king and story is over. But God is doing what? God is working. He allows this chief eunuch to be compassionate and kind. You don't think the chief eunuch has dealt with several deportees and several knuckleheads like Daniel and thinking, yeah, yeah, I know you're kind. Get in line. I'm not risking my head for you. But in compassion and kindness, the eunuch expresses his fear. Look, if I do this, it could cost me my head. To this, we see the wisdom and the humility that Daniel exemplifies. Look at verse 11. So Daniel said to the guard. So in other words, no longer is he going to the chief eunuch, but now he's going to the guard who serves under the chief eunuch. He goes to the guard whom the chief eunuch has assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then and examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So Daniel's second attempt shows his degree of boldness, persistence, humility, and wisdom. He proposes a 10-day test. Now, what's the significance of 10 days? No idea, no reason is given, but the test has to be long enough to give some results. If Daniel and his friends 
appear better after this diet, then the guard will continue giving them food. But if they are looking leaner and look like they're starving, the test is over. Now, what does it mean for them to be better and healthier? It actually means fatter, okay? So all of you that are on the Daniel diet want to look better like Daniel. The diet was, the intent was to make you fatter because back in the day, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let's move on. <laughs> just ignore me. It doesn't mean leaner and buffer. It just means fatter. Anyway. But Daniel was so confident in God's faithfulness that he told the guard, hey, 10 days, try it out. If we look skinnier and unhealthy because of this vegetable and water diet, then go ahead and give us the food. But if we look better, you determine for yourself what to do. Now, again, in the text, it does not specifically say God's grace intervened, but we know God's grace has intervened because when you live off of vegetables and water for 10 days, you're not supposed to gain weight. You're supposed to lose weight. And the whole object of the diet was for them to gain weight because looking better back in that day means you had some meat on your bones. And the only way that a diet like that could cause you to gain weight is God supernaturally working. And even God's grace that allowed the guard, even though his boss said no, to somehow circumvent his boss's orders and then agree to those conditions and then see the results and then continue to agree to those conditions can only be a work of the Lord. He is faithful and providing for his servants for providing for his people who are remaining faithful to them uh, look, look look at the results look at how god continues to give look at verse 17 so we've seen the lord handed god gave and look at verse 17 how does verse 17 start with god gave these four young men knowledge and understanding of every kind of literature and wisdom daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present him, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. God gave wisdom, understanding of every kind of literature, the ability to read and interpret dreams, understands vision, and the fact that they would find favor with the king. And out of all the deportees, these are the main guys who consulted with the king. Again, look at the theme here. Remember how we said in the beginning how Nebuchadnezzar is strengthening his kingdom? But what's really happening? 
The Lord is infiltrating King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. The city of man is now being infiltrated by the city of God because he has faithful servants and the Lord gave them incredible gifts and they are going to remain faithful and bear witness to the true God of the universe. And then verse 21, and then we're going to do application, kind of tells us uh, how long Daniel remained faithful. He remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That means if Daniel was deported in 605 B.C., and the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus was 539 B.C., that means that Daniel, if he was deported as a teenager, you do the math, he was there until his 80s. That meant he remained faithful to the Lord for decades. That's the point of that sentence. So all of that's good, but now let's do application here. Originally, I had a lot of applications, but then I figured, let me just give you one, and that's all I'm going to give you. Here's one application. If you're taking notes, is this. As exiles, remain faithful to live out biblical convictions when compromise would be easier. Remain faithful in living out or to live out biblical emphasis, biblical convictions when compromise would be easier. Despite losing everything, these boys were clinging to the Lord as their hope. Daniel believed that the Lord was far better than anything that Babylon could offer. And he remained faithful as he was clinging to the Lord as his only hope in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst where it could be easy for him to compromise. And just like Daniel, there are some parallels when it comes to us. Daniel was an exile living in a foreign land, clinging to the Lord as his only hope, remaining faithful to his convictions of who the Lord is when compromise would be easier. You know who else are exiles? We are. We are exiles. Even though we've been redeemed from the slavery of sin, we're not home yet. We're in the wilderness. We are wandering. We are heading towards the promised land or the celestial city. We're waiting for the Lord to come back for a new creation awaits us. And yet on the journey, what do we find ourselves? We find ourselves all of these competing voices, all of these lies whispering to us that competes for our time, for our money, for our affections, and for our allegiance. In other words, what the world is constantly doing is feeding us lies, saying we can fulfill, we can satisfy. The very same lie this, that Satan said, do you really think the Lord said that? Do you really think he is good and faithful to provide for you? Do you really think he's going to protect you? Do you really think that what he said is best for you? Look around. 
Look at everybody just having a good old time. Look at the wealth they're accumulating. Look at the happiness that they're chasing after. Aren't they happy? Isn't life great? And yet the Lord calls us to remain faithful to our biblical convictions. And this challenge is what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 12. He says, be transformed in our minds instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, what we have to do is we have to understand even though we live in this world, we can never allow the world to live inside of us. All the luxuries and all the delicacies and all the benefits that the world has to offer could satisfy, could fulfill, only for a little bit. And once you find out it is empty, you are addicted to it and you're chasing after it, always wanting more and yet always being unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And so Daniel reminds us as God's people, we are going to face opposition. And when we do, we have to endure with faith in the Lord, believing both in his promises and his ability to keep his promises, that he is sovereign over all. At the end of the day, all of us, every single day, our children every day are constantly confronted by the world. Gee, what a great time we're having. Gee, look how happy those people are. Come on, eat. Eat the best of food. Come on in and have some fun. Life is short. You only live once. Chase your hopes. Chase your dreams. Become happy because you can achieve it. And the Lord says, no, that will never satisfy. Only I can satisfy. And so the question is, Are we as exiles going to remain faithful to our biblical convictions, believing the Lord's promises and his ability to keep the promise as he is our only hope in life and in death and only he satisfies and nothing else the world offers will ever be able to satisfy us? Last thing, it's not a note-taking but a question, how does this story point to Jesus Christ? Let me show you, and then we'll get ready to sit at the table. I'll try to tie it all together. Just like Daniel and his uh, three friends remained faithful to their true identity, they obeyed God, they were faithful witnesses to God's providence and grace. The Lord sent them as exiles to bear witness to the king and to nations in a foreign land. And really what the story points to is that another young man 600 years later will also be sent into a foreign land to bear witness to the one true God. And Jesus, like Daniel and his friends, Jesus will leave his home and willingly embrace a sinful world without defiling himself. And like Daniel, Jesus would find favor with man and God. He would teach the people, and the people would be amazed by his understanding and by his wisdom, for Jesus is the very embodiment of God, the wisdom of God. 
but Jesus is the greater Daniel. He would refuse to compromise when he's faced with the king of the world, and the king of the world would offer him food. And what would he say? No, for man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And just like Daniel and his three friends gave a faithful witness before the kings and the emperors, Jesus gave a faithful witness before Herod and Pilate. And as a result of that faithful witness, he was crucified. And yet by his death, he redeemed a people from the evil rule of the king of this world to live forever with the king of kings in his eternal palace. The work that he has accomplished on the cross would herald a return from the deepest of exile, from captivity and sin. That means because of the work he has accomplished, because he lived a life we could not live and he died a death we were supposed to die. And he remained remained faithful and truthful, bearing witness to God and setting us free from captivity. We now can take courage And be strong in our witness, for he is working even when our eyes cannot see it. Now think about this table here. The food the world offers us seems tasty, seems good. And in a sense it is. But the problem with the food of this world after we eat and we're satisfied, what happens? We need more. We're never satisfied. We always want to cook up new menus because we get bored with that food. And yet, the food the Lord offers us, in the food he offers us, he promises to fulfill us to satisfy us where he tells us that this food and this drink was so satisfying that you will never be hungry again. You will never be thirsty again because the food he offers us is himself. And the reason why we have this table here is because we are reminded, let us not defile ourselves with the food of this world. But rather, let us come to the king's table and eat the king's food. For when we do, we're proclaiming his death. We're feasting on him, saying our satisfaction is in him and in him alone. And this is only a shadow of the best of meat and wine that is waiting for us at the great wedding banquet. And we're reminded, do not eat what the world offers. Come and feast on the Lord. Let me pray for us and then we get ready to sit at the table. Lord, can you help us to realize what great food you offer? For the food you offer is yourself your body that you've given to us, your blood that was shed for us. Lord, help us not to get distracted by the food the world offers. Help us to remain faithful in our biblical convictions of saying no to that food and yes to you. Help us to feast on you. 
as we continue to pray, I, I want to give you time to meditate a little bit. Maybe here's a question for you to, to think about. What area in your life do you seem distracted where you're not remaining faithful and you feel like the world is pulling you in? Once you've identified that area, why don't you ask the Lord to help you to remain faithful in that area? Example is maybe it's comfort. You just want to be comfortable and just enjoy life. Or maybe another example is success. Like you just want to accomplish. Or approval. You want the world to approve of you. And the problem is you can't live for the world's approval and for God's approval. Ask the Lord to help you in those areas. And here's the truth to meditate on. As we come to this table, what the Lord has to offer is far greater and better and more lasting and satisfying than anything the world could ever offer. For the Lord is offering him self. So when we distribute these elements and we receive these elements and we feast on these elements, we, in a sense, are reminding ourselves his body was given to me. His blood was shed for me. What the Lord has given me is far greater, precious, and more valuable than anything else. I am going to remain feasting on him, chasing after him, for he is faithful. He is faithful in keeping his promises, and he has the ability to keep his promise. And the promise that he has made me is that when I feast on him, when I eat his body and drink his blood, I will never be hungry and thirsty. I will be satisfied. I will find rest in him. And even in the midst of chaos, he promises me that he is coming back to make all things new. I can rest in that because I know he is the God of the universe that has the ability to make all things new because he created everything. No domain is outside of his control. So let's distribute these elements. Let's meditate on these truths as we cling to the Lord. Did everybody receive the elements? I want to read uh, Psalm 23. I promise it won't be another sermon. But there's a verse that really stood out to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and he leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the part. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. David was longing and looking forward to that. And we join with him in that longing, even though we see 
a shadow of it. Here is a table of the Lord in the presence of our enemy still in this wicked world. And we look to it, cling to it, longing, for we will dwell in this house forever. Why can we do it? Why can we dwell in this house forever? Because of the work that Christ has done on our behalf on the cross. His body was given to you. Eat it in remembrance of him. His blood was shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of him. Can you just thank the Lord right now? Thank the Lord for his goodness and his faithful love that pursues us. That even now we get to experience his presence, but one day we will experience his presence fully in his house where faith will no longer be required. Lord, help us to remain faithful. Help us to cling to you. Help us to cling to your promises, knowing that you satisfy. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.